Um, I wanted to mention uh, some prayer requests and also a praise report. Today we got my wife got a text message from Elsa regarding uh, mercy. And you guys know we've been praying for mercy. Uh, she, how many of you here know her, just out of curiosity? If you don't, you should get to know her. She is so amazing. Uh, honestly, I'm not exaggerating her faith, her love uh, for the Lord. Um, she's battling cancer. But man, she is so sweet in the process. She's so faithful in the process. And she trusts the Lord, you know, no matter what. But um, today we got this uh, text message. It says, uh, doctor just called, uh, good news. The treatment is working. So the is is in capital letters. And it says she does have a new object, small, that appeared. But he said that he doesn't think it's a tumor. And he's gonna keep an eye on it for now. But she'll have another CAT scan in two months. So that's a good sign now that two months uh, to see if it grows or not. Uh, but she just put all the man. Oh man, God is so good. I can't stop crying and thanking him. So thank you for your prayers for mercy. A lot of you also know that um, Darren and uh, Mercedes' daughter, um, Lisa, is battling cancer and it's really, really been tough for her. So Mercedes actually went. Uh, to Texas. How long is she going to be there, Darren? Do you we don't know, huh? It's just really tough. And so you guys can remember Lisa in your prayers. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, let's pray for her. Lord, we just lift up Lisa to you, Lord, as a church. And just ask that you would be with her, that you'd be merciful, Father God. We know you can heal, and that would be our request, Lord. Just let her be a testimony, Father, of the fact that you're alive and you heal and you're so good. Father, but if you want to heal on the other side of time, we trust you, we love you, we, we know you know what's best. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless her and be with Mercedes and keep her safe as she travels and be with the whole family. Thank you so much, Father, for being with, with Mercy and, and Donna and, and Maria and so many others. That we, we are just so grateful that you are continuing to heal and just, we just want to thank you for that, Lord. Continue to keep them safe. And Lord, I pray for your church. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just help us, Lord, in every area of our life, body, soul, and spirit. As we study your word tonight, may you bless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I thought it would be cool just to mention this to you guys. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you guys feel. You're probably one of those that say, hey, the pastor should tell us everything, huh? I, I, sometimes I feel like I should. Um, During this whole uh, season of COVID-19, uh, you guys have been so faithful in, in providing and, and blessing and giving and donating. It's really amazing to me. And I know it's the Lord because ultimately he is uh, Jehovah uh, Jireh. He's the Lord who provides. But um, it, it's been such a blessing to see. But in the process, uh, because of the fact that, you know, God has been providing for us, we've actually been looking for a facility, looking for buildings. We've, uh, you know, it'd be cool to maybe have a place we can own one day. Um, but, you know, we're not quite there. And so um, still looking, but keep it in prayer. Okay. And in, in the meantime, probably what we're going to do is we're going to hunker down here at our building and here the Lord has blessed us with a place and what we're, what we're praying about doing is kind of fixing it up for you guys and so when you guys come back and we're able to go in to the building um, hopefully it will be really really cool and so keep it in prayer um, again no promises 
But I, it, was, it would be kind of cool, huh, to, to think that since we're meeting outside, we might as well fix it up inside, huh? Does that make, make sense, maybe? I don't know. It feels good, and there's a few mosquitoes, but other than that, it feels good. I don't know if there are mosquitoes or gnats, I don't know, but... And the Lord protect you. Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 11. So you have a Bible that's open up there. And I have my alarm set for a certain time. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I have my alarm set because I know that we can't stay too long because it gets dark. And uh, as I've mentioned to you as we study the, the, the book of Proverbs, if you think about it, every single proverb is a sermon. So it's a sermon and a sentence. So imagine how difficult it would be to, to try to go through you know, all 31 verses. So we'll see. I mean, to really elaborate on them would be really challenging. But I know uh, today what we'll do is we'll just see how the Lord leads. We'll go through the proverb and whatever, however far we get, you know, we get. The main thing is that we want to grow wise. I've told you guys that the book of Proverbs is really a book that gives you the skills of living life. And so if you can get these into your heart, you know, you young people, I tell you, man, you're not going to learn this in school. You're not going to learn this if, if you graduate from Harvard University. You're not going to learn this uh, on the streets. The book of Proverbs is so amazing. And I can honestly say that it has man, saved my life. And so Proverbs 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And what this verse is talking about is when you go on the scale and you weigh a certain weight and you cheat. No, I'm just joking. It's not, it's not what it's talking about. Uh, actually, what we find is that um, this verse right here is talking about uh, um, integrity and honesty in business. And so imagine, you know, you go to the marketplace to purchase grain and they're charging you for 10 pounds of grain when in all reality uh, you only have nine and so what are they doing? Um, they're actually ripping you off, right? It's an inaccurate weight. And so you might think, well, 9 pounds, 10 pounds, it's not a big deal. But what we see right here, man, is that God does not wink at that. To God, that's an abomination. That's what it says right here. That's not like to God, no big deal. No, that type of deal, it, it disgusts him. As a matter of fact, the term abomination here was reserved for terrible, horrific things. And it just shows how deeply God cares about simple honesty and fairness. You know, we read right here again in verse 1 about this uh, just weight. And, and in the business world, that, that literally means a fair price. It's his delight. The Hebrew, it literally means a perfect stone. And so God wants precision to the penny when it comes to business transactions. You know, and I know you guys have that heart, huh? You're like, uh, you know, you go and you're buying something or whatever, and the guy doesn't give you all your, uh, or maybe he gives you too much change. You know, how many of you would keep it? You wouldn't, huh? Because you're Christians. And God wants a perfect weight. God wants honesty in business transactions. Now, of course, it's not the first time the principle is found. We read it in Leviticus 19, 35 through 36. It says, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. Why? Because it says there, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
You know, you're, you're Christians. And as Christians, we have to, we're going to see it later, we have to be people of absolute integrity. You know, we as uh, people on staff here at the church, we can't take a stamp. I mean, it was kind of fun. It was kind of cool. My wife had a couple of stamps the other day, and, you know, we, we had them from here. We put the, the appropriate money in there. That, that's what God wants from us. And we see it throughout the scriptures, Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16, and uh, other places. And so um, business people, be, be, um, be meticulous in those matters. Verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. The Hebrew word uh, for pride here, it actually comes from a root that suggests boiling up. And it's used uh, of the arrogance of those people. There are some people who must have everything their own way. And if not, they're like two-year-olds who throw tantrums. The, the word uh, translated humble, again, notice when pride comes and comes shame, but with the humble... The, the, the Hebrew word right here is a rare word found only here and in Micah chapter 6 verse 8 where the Bible says that we are to walk humbly with our God. And so prayerfully uh, we overcome this. It's a difficult thing. Believe it or not, a lot of what's going on I think and even in the world today at the root of it, at the root of all the chaos and scandalous things is, is pride. You know, humility is, is very rare in our world today. I, God needs to help us to examine our own life. Is that present inside of me? You know, the shame refers to something that happens in the future. Why? Because of that pride. And so uh, D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. I don't think you guys would do this, especially you guys who come on a Thursday night study, but every once in a while you might have someone say, I went to the Bible study and I didn't get anything out of it. Well, D.L. Moody said that God sends no one away empty except for those who are full of themselves. And so you'll always get something out of opening up the Bible. You'll always get something out of that when, then there's, a, when there's a heart that's teachable, that heart that's reachable. And so uh, the humble are, are that. Or we're going to see that a lot in life. It's a very important lesson uh, for Christians. Uh, verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Now, um, when I first started teaching in the Bible college, I remember I taught a class. It was called Practical Christian Living. And I was uh, petrified because so many people signed up for the class. And the reason they signed up for the class is because within the class, it, it, there, was a, there was an aspect of how to know the will of God, how to have God guide you. Because I think that's a big question among Christians. Like how, you know, uh, can I follow him? And how do I, I, I know the Lord's leading? And, and how does he guide me? And here we see, verse 3, that it's the integrity of the upright that, that guides them. You know, and we'll talk about this. You know, I, I'm assuming most of you know what integrity means. You know, the Hebrew word uh, tumah, it, it comes to us from words that mean complete or innocent or, or full, F-U-L-L, -L, finished, clean, upright. 
It, it literally refers to an undivided heart, an uncompromising Christian. And so let me ask you a question, if you would. Finish this sentence. For me to live is... I can't hear you. It's Christ. For me to live is Christ. I, I think there's a lot of Christians who are saying different things. They're not saying that. I mean, it, it's Christ. When it's Christ, when it's Jesus, then uh, you, you have a heart of integrity. You know, it's not divided. You know, the word integrity is related to that word integer, which is a whole number, right, as opposed to a fraction. And so it's not a fraction of my heart that belongs to Jesus, not a certain portion of my you know, heart, uh, that percentage that belongs to him. Integrity means that I'm all his, that my life is his. And, and when you have that heart, then God will guide you. God will guide you. God will open doors that no man can shut. God will shut doors that no man can open. God will provide opportunities right in front of you. As you're praying, he will speak to you. But if, you're, if your heart is divided, if your heart is distracted, if there's a fraction of your heart that belongs somewhere else, then the enemy's going to come in, and that's the part that he's going to get you with. And you will not be, I mean, you know, as easily led by the Lord. You know, let me tell you something. God will guide you when you have that heart. But God will also test you. You know, Joseph is a great example of this. Most of you know his story. He was a young man, not even 20 years old. And he was tested with the ultimate temptation. I think that's uh, sexual temptation. The onslaught of a beautiful woman. And, and she was, you know, giving herself and providing that opportunity for him. But he held to his integrity. And, and the reason he gave was the best answer in the whole world. He said in Genesis 39, verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness against God? And so he held to his integrity. And because of that, his life was guided by God, which really is all we want, right? Even through the pits and even in the prison, his integrity inevitably brought him to the palace. You see that? How many people would have failed the, the test of sexual temptation? How many people would have failed the test of being thrown into a pit by their brothers? How many people would have failed the test of being incarcerated in prison for two years, unjustifiably so? Many people. But because he held to his integrity throughout the whole process, God guided him from a pit to a prison to the palace to the power to the place where he was you know, second most highest in the whole wide world, and God only gave him that authority so that he could help the people live. All that was because of his integrity. You know, in all honesty, I think that people are getting sucked away and sidetracked and off track nowadays because they're not really, truly, honestly focusing on Jesus. They're so distracted. And they're not holding to their integrity. You know, another person I think we can hold uh, as an example is Job. He was guided by God because of his integrity. And there's a similarity between Joseph and Job. And what is it? If you can think of any similarities, other than they were, you know, both upright and, and blameless, 
they both went through very difficult times, huh? And uh, the Lord saw what Job did. And we read in Job chapter 2, verse 3, that the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So the Lord sees, and the enemy will do all that he can to help us or to discourage us from that integrity. Later on in the same chapter, in Job chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You're going through very difficult times. Why why you, why you keep going to church? You know, you're getting hit hard by the enemy. Why do you still pray? Why do you still read? Why do you still serve? Uh, it doesn't seem like it's really doing you any good. Look what happened to your finances. Look what happened to you physically. Look what happened to your children. But Job, he held to his integrity and God guided him through that. And what did he do? You're like, well, what did God do with Job's life? Well, this is what he did with Job's life. He provided him to be for us an invaluable visual to the truth that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. And so if we hold to our integrity, then God will guide us. You know, the flip side to Joseph and, and Job would probably be Judas, huh? The perversity. Notice what it says again. Look at that verse uh, 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. You know, the other side, of course, is Judas. And here we see the perversity here is what destroyed him. And I don't want to sound weird or anything, but that word perversity, it's related to the word pervert pervert right and a pervert is one who takes what is good and dements it into evil you know usually our connotation for the word pervert would be for someone who takes sexual uh you know we know that god created sexual intimacy uh, to be beautiful and to be practiced within the confines of marriage right and so the pervert is the one who takes something so good and, and what he does is he, he dements it into something so bad. And that's what happens sometimes in the church. Uh, Judas, here's a man who was shown so good, so much good. And what did he do? Imagine this, how, how good it would have been if he stayed with Jesus. But he was swayed by the devil and betrayed the Lord with a kiss. And so here was a guy, and I believe you guys know this, right? Jesus didn't choose Judas to betray him. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't, the Lord said, hey, I want you because I know that you're going to take me down. No, the Lord doesn't work like that. The Lord chose him because he was the most qualified. Here were the 12 guys, and this was the opportunity for them to go and serve and be used in such a tremendous way. But Judas became perverse unfaithful he didn't like the way that things weren't going his way he thought it would be more political he thought there'd be more money involved and so what did he do for 20 pieces of silver he betrayed the lord with a 
with the kiss. So, you know, hold to your integrity, you guys. I, I guess probably the, the main thing I want to tell you is that, that the most important thing about life is that you're being led by the Lord. You know, for us, I know for us as a church, I'm like, Lord, what do we do? There's all these questions and people say I should do this and others say I should do that. And the Lord just says, Manny, make sure you're a man of prayer. Make sure you're a man of the word. Make sure there's no sin in your life. And try your best to be a man of integrity, and I will guide you. Don't try to wear Saul's armor. You're not Saul. You're, you're who I made you to be. And we all have to follow the Lord like that. And so um, next in verse 4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them out, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. And so you'll notice in these three verses, uh, they all deal with the blessings of being righteous. Uh, here, deliverance is mentioned twice, even in the day of wrath as well as direction there in verse 5, direction for today. And so when you think of deliverance, what do you think of? You think of, hey, man, the enemy's watching that guy, that gal, the way they love the Lord, and he's got a plan, the strategies of Satan, and he's going to, you know, attack them. He's, he has a plan to take them down. But the righteousness delivers you. The righteousness rescues you. Uh, the righteousness is, number one, the imputed righteousness when you place your faith in Jesus. But then number two, and you see it in the book of Proverbs, it is the imparted righteousness. When you live that life and you're in right relationship with him, these are the things that deliver us from the strategies of Satan. These are the things that direct us, and we see that today. And, you know, so many are working hard and uh, they're working harder to make more and more money. Notice again what he says there in verse 4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. And so think about these guys, man, they are doing everything they can to make more and more money. Now, of course, it's okay to follow the Lord and maybe you guys are going to get blessed and win the lottery. That would be cool. I don't know. Do you guys buy lottery tickets probably not huh it's probably not a good thing to want to be rich but you know maybe uh just in your faithfulness you end up rich but uh it, it gets bad when people desire to be rich when that's their passion when they want to make more when there's never ever enough when there's not that contentment and so there's a lot of people out there working hard and they're so busy trying to make more money completely oblivious to the day that they will stand before god you know, when those riches that they've been working so hard for all their life mean absolutely nothing, they do not profit, he says, in the day of wrath. You know, there's, there's no amount of money that we can have or make that can buy an entrance into heaven. I, I don't know. None of you guys here are rich, huh? I don't think any of you here are rich. Imagine if, uh, the, the, have you guys ever seen those houses or those lifestyles? You're like, yeah, I watch it every night. <laughs> but imagine that life. I mean, it would, I mean, all their lives, all their lives, money has been the answer. It's opened every single door they've ever been interested in and given them everything they've ever wanted. 
But now there's going to be a rude awakening because all the money in the world can't open heaven's door. You know, you can't take it with you. Uh, I don't know if some people think maybe they can bribe an angel or Peter, you know, hey, he's heaven's gatekeeper. Absolutely not. And so why is the Lord telling us this? Why is he telling us this? Is it because he wants us to just know that fact, the information? No, it's for transformation. It's because he's saying that you don't need to try. You don't need to necessarily make that your goal, you know, to make more. It's not just information. He says, wake up and, and get right in your relationship with God because that's what matters. You know, isn't it so amazing? And I hope that you know the gospel. You believe in Jesus. You believe he died for you? You believe he rose again? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Just so simple. And you're saved. Never forget that. Now just follow him. You'll be blessed. That's what he's trying to say right here. It's all about this right relationship with the Lord, uh, this right living for the Lord, and it delivers us from being caught, it says right here, and killed by lust. So let me ask you a question. What's, what's your balance? Not in your checking account, but in your checking your heart account. What's your balance? Or what's your balance? Not necessarily how much you've saved, but are you saved? You know, usually people who come to a midweek service are saved, but there might be someone here who's really not. And imagine, you know, you die one day and you're standing at heaven's gate and you're standing before Jesus and you're like, I went to Calvary Chapel Almani, even outside, Lord. <laughs> and he said, you know what? You never really placed your faith in me. So if you're here tonight and, and you don't, like, have a hunger for God, that's probably a sign that you need to give him your heart. And just today, just say, Lord, I believe. Come into my life. That righteousness, that, that delivers in the day of wrath. Verse 7, it says, When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. And so, you know, we look around the world today, and I, man, there's a lot of wicked people, huh? And of course we want them, like, to be smashed now, right? <laughs> Eventually they will. It says, while the wicked man lived, he expected this to happen and that. He hoped for those things. But when he dies, his expectations and hope dies with him. And what ends up happening is when he dies, he's delivered into double trouble. I was thinking about that uh, French philosopher, uh, historian, whatever influential man that you want to call him is uh, Voltaire. Uh, he was a man uh, that, that, that lived in the 18th century and he was known really primarily for his assault on Christianity, especially the Catholic Church. But uh, here was a man who said this. He said, in 20 years, Christians will be no more. He said, my single hand will destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. He actually thought, I'm going to destroy Christianity. It's something that comes from Satan. It's something that is, the spirit is still around today. The world, the leaders, the governors, whoever it is, they, they think that they can destroy Christianity. I'll destroy it. I mean, are you serious? Are we afraid of this? 
Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Absolutely not. And so, of course, we fight for our rights and there are things that we want to make sure that we pass on to our children and our freedoms of religion. But um, the, the expectations of the wicked, just like the guy like Voltaire, they will perish. They don't have a chance. Because like Gamaliel said, you got to be careful. And he said, you might be fighting God. And so, you know, for us, Voltaire is interesting. He said, I'm going to destroy Christianity. It didn't happen. As a matter of fact, shortly after his death, his house was used as a headquarters for the printing of Bibles. Imagine that. When he died, these were his last words. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. He said, I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will just give me six more months of life, and then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. And these were his last words. Oh, Christ, Jesus Christ. See, that, that's how the wicked go down. Uh, but what ends up happening is these guys, and they try to, to take us down, and they try to do their thing, the Lord has a way of turning it all around. You know, uh, to me, it's interesting what he says there in verse 8. Look, the righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. Never forget that. Never forget that. Do you guys remember the plan of Pharaoh to destroy the Jews? Uh, he had a, a few things, uh, but eventually what he said is, you know, the Jews continue to grow and multiply, is he said, this is what I want you to do in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22. He said, every son who was born you shall cast into the river. That was his plan. That when, when a son is born, throw him into the river. And so you guys remember what happened. Of course, you know, Moses was put in the river. I think that was part of and to me, it's almost like God using the enemy's plan to raise up a deliverer to, de, you know, to, you know, lead the Jews. But, but when Pharaoh's army was, was defeated, how were they defeated? In the river. When all the chariots and all those soldiers, and they all went after the Jews who had passed through dry land, they were delivered in the river. And I don't know how God's going to do it, but every single time someone comes against the church, against God's people, they are storing up wrath for themselves. Just like Haman. Remember um, Haman, he built gallows 75 feet high to hang Mordecai on in the book of Esther, remember? And what ended up happening in the end? Um, Haman was hanged on his own gallows. Just like Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. They said, hey, this guy, he prays three times a day. And so uh, the, all these religious guys, uh, they were not, you know, Jews, but they were pagan religious guys. And they told the, the king. And so, of course, the king's edict couldn't be uh, altered. And so they did throw Daniel in the lion's den. Remember Daniel chapter 6? But what ended up happening was the, the Lord stopped. He closed the mouth of the lions. And uh, after, the, you know, the time frame was over, uh, they end up taking Daniel out, and then they throw those guys in to the lion's den, remember? And the guys got eaten before they hit the ground. And so that's a, a good reason for me just to trust the Lord and just to continue 
to hold to my integrity and to be in right relationship with God. We're not afraid. I, I love this principle in the Bible. In verse 9, it says, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. And so I don't know if anyone here struggles with gossip or slander or backbiting, but I tell you what, you go through the book of Proverbs and you'll be a different person. Some people, I don't know for sure if you guys agree with me on this, but it seems like some people, they just like the juicy, juicy. Huh? They're just like that, huh? I don't know if we're seeing that. Sometimes I even think it might even be in their genes. They want to be the informant or whatever, uh, the metiches. I don't know how it works, but, you know, you read the book of Proverbs and it begins to, to heal you of that. You know, we've touched on the sin of slander before, but here the Spirit refers to such a person as a hypocrite. Verse 9, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. And so the question is, does he talk smack because he's a hypocrite? I have a feeling that because they talk smack, they're a hypocrite. That's what the Lord's trying to say. So what are you trying to say, Manny, that we can't, you know, talk critically about anyone? Sure we can as the Lord leads, but my encouragement to you is to do it to them, not behind their back, because when you do it behind their back, it's called backbiting. And so um, if that's you and you kind of struggle with that, my encouragement to you is stop it. Because what ends up happening, it says right here, the hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. And so... You know, I don't know how that works. Like, I guess at the end of the day, like if people tell you bad things about other people, it's up to you whether or not you want to believe them. Some people want to believe them. So in one sense, you destroy their relationship. I don't think you can really destroy a person because we can't stop someone from talking bad about us, right? Because God is the one that protects us. You know, Pastor Chuck, he said, I, I can fight my own battle, but the fact is I don't always win. But I can trust in the Lord to be in my defense because he never loses. So if you find out someone's talking bad about you, should you go defend yourself? Not necessarily. Generally speaking, I don't think it's a good idea. You don't have to worry. What, what Have you ever, like, are you guys ever freak out because you found out that someone was talking bad about you? You ever freak out and you want to go beat them up or something? Or whatever, you just get so hurt and it's like you're torn up inside. You're like, I can't sleep. Um, I was listening to a, a study by David Rosales and he was saying that he always sits men down before they go into the ministry. And he said, if you have a problem with people talking about you, whatever you do, don't go into the ministry. Because <laughs> you're going to experience a lot of that. He said, how thick is your skin? I've always told you guys we have to have the skin of a rhinoceros and the heart of a child because people will talk bad about you. But don't worry about it. Don't lose sleep at night. What happens, okay, here, especially with the world that we're living in today? So, like, you're like, oh, no, you know, I don't agree with them, so they don't like me anymore. So if you start agreeing with them, then they don't like you anymore. Who cares? If they like you or if they agree with who cares? The most important thing is what? That, that God is pleased with you. That, that's what matters. And so, you know, we experience these types of things, right? 
verse 10, it says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. And I've always liked this verse because I think of the city of Almani. I've done some invocations at some of the city council meetings, and I pray uh, these verses right here. And so a couple of ways it says right here to fill a community with joy is with righteousness and justice. And what we find is that good people are rewarded and bad people are eventually and inevitably brought to justice. And so we need to, you know, be good, so to speak, and follow the Lord and, and place our faith in a good, good father. You know, I was thinking about what a difference an upright person makes to individuals or uh, even to a community. Notice again there in verse 11, it says, By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Verse 10, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. And so, I don't know, I mean, I know there's a lot here, but I think that when we have the remnant, when we have Christians in, in the city of Almani or whatever the case may be, that God will see that and God will spare that city. Just like uh, the Lord, when he was talking to Abraham, remember Abraham was interceding for Sodom and, and Abraham uh, asked the Lord, you know, about these things. And what we find is that Abraham, um, he even told the Lord, uh, let not the Lord in Genesis eighteen thirty two be angry and I will speak what once more he said, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So, you know, bad things happen. We live in a fallen world, but God's judgment, God's ultimate judgment won't come when the Christians are here. We're kind of like a preservative. And that's why before the judgment comes, we have to have the rapture of the church. huh? That's why Lot was taken out. Because God had to judge Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. Um, the other day, I uh, was going from um, the 605 to the 10 Freeway East. And when you go on the 605 to the 10 Freeway East, I don't know if you guys uh, are familiar with that, but there's a, uh, you have to go on that big bridge. Remember that they built? Have you guys seen that big bridge? And as you're going through, you have to wait for the, the light to turn green. But when the light turns green... There's a sign right there. I don't know if you guys have seen this sign. It says two cars per green, right? And so you're waiting in line, and then you only see one car go. And you're waiting in line, and there's only one car goes. And it's like, dude, you also want to honk your horn, you know? But you're Christians. You have stickers, so you can't, right? But it's kind of cool, because I was, I was teaching my daughter about this. About, and, and she said, I said, look, sweetheart, there's a sign there. And there's a sign there. And then there's a sign there. There's signs everywhere, two cars per green. A and she told me, Dad, why are there so many signs? And I said, because they really want you to, to see. And we're living in a day of earthquakes. We're living in a day of uh, one world government. We're living in a day of cashless society. We're living in a day of pestilence. We're living in a day of of turmoil and lawlessness and on and on. And there are so many signs that judgment is coming. 
But before that judgment comes, the rapture comes, huh? And so I'm excited about that. I pray that, um, that you guys are ready for that, that we're living our life in the light of the Lord's imminent return. Amen? All right, so it's getting dark. Um, I just, I, I know that a lot of you here, I know you love the Lord, man. And I know that none of us here are perfect. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for Jesus. You know, um, some days you, you're feeling good. Other days you're not because we're not in heaven yet. But um, if you're here and, you know, you're maybe not one of those who are doing okay. Maybe you're struggling in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you need a touch of the Holy Spirit. I pray that right here, right now, you would just open up your heart. And you would just say, Lord, um, I need you. I need more of you. I, I, I don't want a percentage of my heart to belong to anyone or anything else. I mean, you've been trying to get my attention through this whole pandemic. And I'm still nowhere near where I need to be. I'm, this opportunity is almost over. And I'm going to go back to supposedly a normal life. When through this whole thing, you wanted to do a radical work in me. And so, Lord... Um, Touch me tonight. Let it be tonight. Help me, God, tonight. You know, we always have to have that opportunity, you guys. And so don't, please, don't settle for, for anything less than that. Okay? Oh, Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your word, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you would bless your people. Uh, I pray you give them joy. I pray you give them peace. I pray you give them love in their homes. Lord, I pray that as they read your word, that you would speak to them. And as they pray, that they would sense your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint uh, the work of their hands. And as they serve you in so many different ways, Father, that you would just bear fruit in their life. I pray that you would bless a single people, Lord, to stay pure and to um, really have a contentment in their relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for the marriages, that you would bless them abundantly, Father, and that you would continue to work in every single heart here. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. We do pray that you would give us that wisdom. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand uh, one more song, and you'll be dismissed.